the whiff of gunpowder and the alarm bells go off and the call for retreat is heard all around. It's taken the Russians' brutal invasion of Ukraine, the impacts through the oil and gas markets, the threat of gas rationing in Europe to shock people into the realisation that security supply won't automatically look after itself and that the easy idea that building more and more renewables and pursuing uh, the net zero targets as they're currently constructed will in any event solve all our security problems. It won't and it isn't and the consequences are now out there for all to see. The smell of gunpowder has given way to the stink of coal mines, to more coal production, more coal generation. It's given way to a recognition that the world is still 80% dependent on fossil fuels and keeping the lights on depends upon gas, amongst other things, and that keeping the transport systems going depends upon oil as do the petrochemicals, the fertilisers and much of concentrated large-scale industry upon which we all depend. So if there was a retreat in the making, it's already well underway and recent events have spurred that on. And this should worry us all. In the UK, the self-proclaimed world leader in addressing climate change, uh, the retreat is ominous and large. Because of the structure of energy policy, or rather the lack of it, the energy price shock, and particularly the gas price shock, has ironically hit the UK harder than virtually any European country, despite the fact that the UK only imports about 4% of its gas from Russia. Why? Because the UK has pursued a fast-track renewables policy, nothing wrong with that, but without serious consideration of how the intermittency and the low density and the disaggregated nature of much of the renewables, and especially wind, is going to be backed up. And for the next 10, 15 years at least, that's gas and closing gas storage and relying upon tankers on the high seas might ultimately deliver physical security of gas supplies. But of course, that's not the issue. You can always have plenty of gas, provided you're prepared to pay the highest price in the market. And what is going on is the price is too high for the customers to pay and for much of industry. UK is even contemplating opening a new coal power station. It's uh, giving permission for drilling oil onshore uh, and fracking can't be a long way behind. And we're opening up uh, licenses in the North Sea for more gas and perhaps even oil to add to the pile. We're also paying to keep existing coal power stations open because uh, there is no other substantive power base on the system other than gas, given we're on a fast track to close our on most of our existing nuclear power stations anyway. So the UK is a remarkable example of the reverse gear being crunched really hard. And that's a consequence of years of being effectively asleep at the wheel amongst uh, ministers, not just this government, but earlier governments before. It's simple. You can't do decarbonisation 
without making sure you have security supply at the same time. And if you neglect security supply, you'll find that the decarbonisation stuff is forced onto the back seat to get there. Building ever more wind farms doesn't solve security supply on its own. You need, in addition, to sort out the intermittency issues. And you have to recognise that for the economy as a whole, we, like the rest of the world, are overwhelmingly dependent upon fossil fuels. 80% plus is the global number, and we're not a long way behind that. And so this immediate crunching of the reverse gear is the inevitable consequence of energy policy failures. And because it is the result of those failures, it's perfectly possible to put it right. But putting it right requires waking up and getting out of that drowsy snooze that has been the uh, ministerial sleeping of the wheel for so long. And in itself... Addressing the immediate issues will make quite a difference to the coherence of energy policy. But we have to remember that at the broader level, we're not making much progress on global warming. Indeed, if you look at the global story, and remember, climate change is a global public bad, not just a problem for a small economy on the fringes of Europe. At the global level, It's what matters and what's going on at the global level should give everyone a severe wake-up call. The alarm bells should be going off and it should be recognised as a result that COP26 and one more heave of the COP processes is not going to get us to net zero and it's not going to solve our problems. We need a fundamental rethink. More of the same, well, it'll be costly, but it won't produce the results. Why? Well, let's just look at the facts and let's take three facts which seem to me to encompass where we haven't got to. So the first thing to say is that climate change is caused by increasing concentrations of greenhouse gases and the shortcut for that is increases in the stock of carbon in the atmosphere. So you might think that the COP debates and all these uh, pledges that people are making are focused on that concentration of carbon in the atmosphere. No, they're not. And if you look at the record, we've been adding two parts per million to the concentration of carbon in the atmosphere ever since 1990. There is no break in the pathway of those increases. And really scaringly, the increases last year during the lockdowns were the same, two parts per million. The second thing to say is that the world is 80% dependent on fossil fuels. Renewables aren't that important yet. Hydro might have a bit of a role to play and nuclear might have a bit of a role to play. But coal, oil and gas are what drives our world economy. And that 80% is the same number as it was in 1970. The difference is, of course that world GDP is massively higher now than it was then. So it's a much higher total coal, oil and gas burn than it was then. But there's been no shift in the structure of the world economy. So net zero is about getting rid of much of that 80% 
in what now? 27 years? And then the final one of the three salient facts is what's going on in sequestration. That's the other half of the climate change problem. And if we look at what's going on, a salient fact to bear in mind is the Amazon, one of the greatest natural sinks of carbon on this planet, is now a net emitter of carbon. So not only have we been increasing emissions globally by burning fossil fuels, we've been destroying the ability of the natural world to absorb that carbon and maintain that balance of the stock in the atmosphere. So it's already a rout in the sense that we are already on the path to substantial climate change without any serious impact of 30 years of COPs and international proclamations, declarations, and all the stuff that world leaders trot out at events like uh, Glasgow COP26. So what's to stop this route we're already in getting even worse? What's to turn it round? What's to give us a sustainable path going forward? Well, the answers aren't very difficult in the sense of defining what they are. They're just incredibly politically difficult to achieve. What are they? Well, first of all, stop pretending that it's carbon territorial production that's uh, the appropriate basis for targets. And those NDCs and those net zero targets we have in the UK and across uh, Europe too. That's not what matters. What matters is carbon consumption. It doesn't matter whether the steel's made in Britain and now protected by steel tariffs or it's made in China. The point is making steel will produce carbon emissions until we find another way of doing it. So we have to be facing the fact that it's you and me that's causing climate change. It's our consumption that's causing the outcome and we're not detached from it. And that feeds to two further requirements. We should pay for the pollution we cause. So we should pay for the carbon in our consumption. And that's going to be painful because by not paying for it, we're living beyond our sustainable means. And paying for it will require a substantive change in our consumption patterns and our level of consumption. You can see the political difficulty. The second point is you need to have carbon border adjustments because those carbon pollution prices have to be applied to imports on the same basis as domestic production. And that's what turns a unilateral target like the UK's into a meaningful target which will help to stop us causing climate change. Territorial carbon production, the current net zero target, will not contrary to what the uh, chair of the Climate Change Committee seems to believe, it will not stop causing climate change. I can even think of examples where it'll actually make things worse. What will stop us causing unilaterally a global climate change is if we pay for the full cost of our carbon consumption and we have a CBAM, an adjustment on imports, as well as a carbon price on not just energy and electricity, but also on transport, heating, and especially agriculture. That's all to come. Will we do it? Well, my guess is as good as yours, but a good start is to start telling the truth and stop pretending this is all a free and easy ride. Oh, and make sure 
that when you're doing that, you've actually thought through how to back up intermittent, disaggregated, low-density energy renewable sources and stop pretending that security of supply will take care of itself. It won't, and the consequence of it not doing so is those decisions to push back towards fossil fuels, which are part of the retreat from net zero, which we're witnessing right now. We could do it, but we have to be honest, realistic, and realize that it's not all gain. There's quite a lot of pain in getting ourselves back onto a sustainable consumption path. Thank you.